return of the midweeks. Back for more, eh? Well, we're in 1 Samuel still. And this is when the subject of the kingship comes to the forefront. Uh, one of the things we're looking at in 1 Samuel is the formation of the kingdom. Previous to this, it's been judges ruling over Israel, and now we're going to transition to a kingship. So a royal leader, not a leader from amongst the people, but a royal leader who would have um, sons who would become kings after him and enter into that phase of history. Now, this is the thing. The birth of the kingdom is not good. And this is one of the mysteries of the Bible and one of the mysteries of God is that God would participate in and adopt this kingship idea that he directly says was not a good idea and was actually a rejection of him. But let's read the story. Chapter 8, starting verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So we have this, a few things going on here, okay? Samuel's aged, so we start off the book, Samuel isn't even born, and then he is born to his mother Hannah, and now he's become an old man. I'm not sure exactly how old this is, but everybody knows that he's old. So just think about how much time has passed in the last seven chapters up to this verse. And what we have is handing down of uh, roles to sons. So usually judges didn't appoint their own children as judges. Um, Gideon was the first one where something like that happened and it didn't work out. The son that took over for him was not a good dude. But usually the sons didn't become judges. And that's part of the whole theme of judges is that um, the sons didn't need to become judges and you can't force sons to become judges. Um, it needs to be selected by God. And so God's kind of made that point in the book already, but the people aren't going to understand that. And so it's hard to say, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing to make sons judges? Really what should have happened probably is that Samuel should have appointed judges based on their character and not on their lineage. Um, but here we go. They're judges. Their, their names are given, which is interesting. Joel means... Um, God is Yahweh. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Yah and El. El is the word for God. Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh, the name of their the covenant God of Israel. And the second one name is Abijah, which means Yahweh is my father. Abi or Avi in, in ancient Hebrew means my father. And Yah is the shortened name of the God of Israel. So the kids' names are Yahweh is God and Yahweh is my father. And they were judges in Beersheba. Now, verse 3, they didn't walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. That is not a good thing. And so they haven't carried on the spiritual commitment to Yahweh. We have sons who are disloyal to the ministry of their father. And so this reminds us a little bit of Eli and his two sons and the trouble that came along with that. They took bribes and perverted justice. So the Bible names exactly what their main issue was. They were judges, so they had all the influence of um, legal decisions and leadership and some people found that if they were willing to give gifts um, these two sons would rule in their favor instead of according to justice which is a real problem how do the people respond 
well, all the elders respond a certain way. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Remember, that's his house and his home base on his tour of judging. And said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So interesting what's going on here. They, they know the truth. Samuel is old. Yes, the, the Spirit of God just told us that in verse 1. And his sons don't walk in his ways. Yes, that's true. That's in verse 3. These are accurate representations. But the people have come with their own solution to this problem. And the scripture reveals their heart by saying, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And that phrase, like all the nations, is not a good thing. Again, they're looking to the nations around them for inspiration, leadership, guidance, and they're trying to imitate the unbelievers instead of living in holiness with God so that the unbelievers want to imitate them. It's almost like this is a kind of idolatry. They've, they want a king like idolaters want idols. They want to set something up in their own strength to save them. Verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So why does it displease him? It doesn't say right off the bat. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they rejected me from being king over them. Okay, so we get some insight. Samuel feels rejected when they want a king instead of his sons, instead of him. So he takes it personally, and God is saying to him, Don't take it personally for your sake. They've actually rejected me from being king over them. Now, this is a huge thing for God to say that. By wanting a human king, they've actually rejected God's kingship. He's the king over Israel, and he sets up judges as his like appointed servants. But when they want a king, like all the nations, they're actually rejecting God's kingship. This is gigantic. And I don't think the elders knew what they were doing when they said this. This is a good little insight into human nature. If you want to imitate the nations, you can end up rejecting God without ever specifically intending to. Verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall rule, sorry, reign over them. So this is a mystery that God would hear the people saying we want a king and he would decisively, like whenever God speaks in the scriptures, he gives accurate information. His perspective is the right perspective. Sometimes people can be talking and they'll be saying things that aren't totally true or are lies. And you need to be a careful reader, a careful listener, and be listening for that. They expose their hearts, but their hearts aren't always in a good place. And But when God is speaking, God's perspective is always true. His heart's always in the right place. And so his words are always trustworthy. So when he says they're rejecting me, that's the truth. But he also tells Samuel to participate with it. And so God has a plan. And it seems like initially he's going to let their own unbelieving choices, their pride, they want, they come to God saying, this is how you're going to fix this problem. Instead of a time of prayer and humility and seeking the Lord for his solution, they come with their own solution. So this is pride that God's going to oppose. But he's going to oppose it by letting the people get what they want and then letting them suffer the consequences of what they have asked for, which is something God does. He opposes the proud by handing the proud over to their own desires, and then they find out that the consequences of what they wanted are terrible, and then they try to repent and 
God will deal with them then at that time. But God sees this as a huge rejection, but he tells Samuel to participate with it because he has a plan through it. So, verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king for him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and of your vineyards. Sorry, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Okay, so Samuel gives them a really stern warning. And essentially what he's saying to them, because they want a king like all the nations, they're going to end up with a king like all the nations. And when uh, people become kings over the nations, they set themselves up to be like a mini god. And so essentially what he's saying to them is, this king is going to come and he's going to tithe from you. He's going to take your best, your best people, your best um, skills, your best land, your best vineyards, your best animals. He's going to take from you a tenth of everything plus your best, and he's going to make them work for himself. And especially when it says a tithe of your flocks, that's like God tithes. God requires a tithe. So this, this is like another person, like living as God over you. And he warns them, you'll be his slaves. So there's going to be an increase in taxation, which is going to feel like slavery to you. And you're eventually going to regret what you're requiring, but I'm going to ignore you. And that day when you come and say, oh, we've made a mistake getting this king, he says, I'm not going to change it back. So, so he's saying this is an irreversible move in Israel. When a kingship is started, it will continue forever. It's an irreversible move. And so you better know what you're getting yourselves into. It's going to cost you big time, and you can't undo this. Verse 19 of chapter 8, the people don't listen to what Samuel is saying. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Okay, so then, this is the people's response, and this is probably a summary of the conversation, but it's revealing their hearts. They insist on having a king. They want to be like all the nations, and that isn't good. They're not supposed to be like all the nations. They're supposed to be a light unto the nations. And they want a king who will judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And now, see, there's some irony here. This is exactly what Samuel's already doing. He's already judging them, and he's going fighting their battles. The last chapter was a great victory. So they're asking for a king to do what the judges have already been doing when the judges have faith. And that doesn't seem like they're thinking that you can actually get a bad king who um, is just as bad as any of the judges, is just as corrupt as Samuel's sons are. They, they are thinking formally. They're thinking about the outside appearances. If we can just get a king, everything will be better. No, you need a good king. If you don't get a good king, you won't have a good life. You won't have a good nation. And a good judge is as good as a good king but they're not thinking like this. And later on, we'll find out that a lot of their problem was that they were really feeling threatened by Nahash, that one of the first 
kings that Samuel's going to, uh, sorry, not Samuel, but Saul is going to fight. So that's coming up. That the reason is that they're looking at these other nations and feeling very intimidated by them. So they want their own it's like their own firepower. It's like, oh, they've got tanks. We need a tank. Or they've got jets. We need a jet. This is what they're thinking of. They're thinking very worldly here. And it's not coming out of faith, and it's not coming out of humility. And so they're going to get a faith-free response from God. They're going to get an unblessing in the kingship. But, and before I go, I just want to say, this is really, this echoes to me of the temptation in the garden. When the serpent came to Adam and Eve, and they promised Eve all of these things to become like God, Um, to have fruit that looks appealing to the eye. All these things, they were already things God was trying to give them. He already gave them fruit that's good to eat, and he already made them in the image of God. They're as like God as possible, but the serpent managed to tempt them with things that God was already giving them. And same it is here. God has already given them judges who judge them and go before them and fight their battles, but they didn't call it a king. And so now the people are being tempted to want God to give them something that would only give them what they already have, but they want it for the wrong reasons, and so it's actually a rejection of God's kingship. Verse 21, And when Samuel heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Then, sorry, Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So, um, God responds to their unbelief, says, Okay, do what they want make them a king. And Samuel says, okay, got it, message received. And this crowd that's come to him with their request, he says God's going to do it, and he sends them home at end of chapter. But in summary, the birth of the kingship, not an act of faith. It's actually an act of pride, telling God what God needs to do for their sake. And because of that, it's not going to work out well in the beginning. But God is God of redemption. And so he's in his own heart, he's got David, the faith-filled king, already in his mind, on his back pocket, and he's already looking forward to the kingship of his son, Jesus. God's going to redeem this fallen kingship desire by coming in himself, in his son, to be the true king of Israel and also the king of the world, and he's going to redeem the kingship as well as the kingdom by being the true and faithful king who lays down his life for the people, who doesn't steal from the people and demand the best from the people, but gives the people his best and lays down his life life for them so that he can bring them to God and that God the Father can be the true king of their lives. So Samuel is heating up. Strange things are happening. Drama upon drama. But God's faithfulness and holiness on display in all ways. And this is the treasure of the book of Samuel is seeing God and knowing his character and having the ability to grow in our faith in him. God bless.